You are on Max's Island, a podcast by Meet Max Power. On Max's Island podcast, you'll hear the lived experiences of people who choose to live life a little differently. It might be a story of when they took time out and dared to do something crazy. Perhaps they made a decision to leave it all behind and follow their dreams. Or maybe they just stopped listening to what other people thought and did what was right for them. This experience becomes a story that is part of them and one that you need to hear. So, now that you're on Max's Island, listen to the wisdom in these stories and you too will be inspired to do what you have always wanted to do. Today on Max's Island, I'm with Chris Singleton. Chris, welcome to the island. Tony. Chris, on the island, our guests have the opportunity to share with our listeners perhaps that time in their life where they were motivated to do something a little different, where their life potentially changed or where an event actually occurred that may have even changed the trajectory of their life. Have you got a time in your life where that might have happened? and can share that story with the listeners on Max's Island. Uh, indeed, a number of sort of times when I've taken different tacks and things have happened. But probably the one that, as we were discussing earlier, comes to mind most was one that sort of pretty well changed how I thought about a lot of things. Um, and particularly the way you run it like a small enterprise which is quite, at the time, counterintuitive to how most people did things. Um, so was that through a chance meeting of somebody or a revelation in running a business or, or what was it? A, a chance meeting with a farmer in a troopie that came through an intersection. <laughs> oh, and collected you. And collected me, yeah. So why was that such a pivotal moment where you had the opportunity to change the way you thought about things around business. And, and as I, I'll declare to our listeners on Max's Island, I know your, your background around entrepreneurship and starting things and, and being a founder, um, that's pretty much your life. So I'm interested to know where some of the your thoughts and philosophies might have changed, might have um, matured because of this event. Yeah, so um, old mate sort of Friday afternoon, I had a car that I'd bought to do Targa Tasmania in and uh, for once on a Friday afternoon I didn't have a beer and had to go and check some stuff um, at a printer and just trundling along and this guy sort of came through a, a, a giveaway sign, clipped the back of the car, spun the car around and it sort of just went up onto um, a park which in all events would be a fairly sort of innocuous series of circumstances and you'd just be a bit peeved that your car got dented. but. The nature of this, it was an old fibreglass car, um, and fibreglass is pretty ratty after 50 years, 
and the green logs, treated pine logs that they have around a park, which have just got a little strap over the top of them. Um, the cars that hit one of these fences at a particular angle and the log just came straight through the door of the car and hit my right ankle, sort of blew that apart, spun my, my I think it's tibia and fibula around and hit, hit my knee and then took the back of my left calf off. And so the net result of all that is that I wasn't able to... I had to have obviously some surgery in bits and pieces and I wasn't able to work. And we had an insurance policy in a business, I think we had eight or nine people, maybe more actually, with contract, probably 12 working for us at the time. And I was just your typical small businessman, as you would know at the time, and sort of doing everything. You do the accounts, you do the client service, you do the creative. You business development. Business development, yeah. you do the production managing, debt chasing, the whole nine yards. And it was kind of like, well, God, what's going to happen now? And then my accountant at the time said, well, basically there's two avenues. One, you've obviously got, it's clearly not your fault. So you've got the Motor Vehicle Insurance Trust, which will, um, any, anything you're out of pocket, um, they'll pick up. And second, you've got an insurance policy around uh, continuity and key man and stuff like that. So with those two things, you'll be completely set. So, so key man insurance back in those days was pretty fashionable, wasn't it? It was, yeah. it was something that was... Um, Pretty popular for small businessmen. Yeah, and being sort of like, I think if it was in the, what, 31, 32 years, like 10 foot tall and bulletproof. Um, so you just really, I'll never claim on this thing. And then she, she was great. And, um, you know, she's a family friend, went to school with my mum. And she just said, look, just go and hire whoever you need to hire to keep the business going. So we went straight out to the market and got a production manager We've got a salesperson, we've got an accounts person, and we've got some, somebody in creative, actually. So we basically got four people on to do it. So I was sort of completely out of the business for a good eight to 12 weeks and then sort of came back in. So the key man insurance to hire those people, that would have been only for a period of time, though? Um, I can't, to be honest, I can't remember the details yeah. now, but there's two bits to it because it was really, if I could demonstrate that we were running the business at a loss because I wasn't there too. So it was also how much out of pocket I personally was going to be. Um, And the NVIT covered that. And luckily we had a very, and we're talking about the early 90s here, a very automated business. Like we were one of the first places to, um, we bought an Apple Lisa in 85 or 86 and we had a spreadsheet on it and we did all our accounts as you you know probably remember. So we, we had everything, like nothing escaped us and we knew what all of our, jobs would cost and everything else. So it was quite easy to sort of demonstrate that. Yeah, so we got these people in and then I sort of probably five, six months, I suppose, before I was back into the business really full-time and had to have, you know, rehab and stuff like that. And my head just wasn't in the space for it. And it was kind of interesting, like two things go through your head. Well, you know, they're doing a good job and you really don't want to sack them because, you know, you sort of get to know them. And then you sort of look at the numbers and you go, you know what, business actually making a pretty good quid without me dabbling in it. In fact, it's probably run the best it's ever... <laughs> best it's ever run. And I remember thing, there's a there's a really early business coaching crowd called... I think it was called Sherlaws. And their whole premise was... And I remember reading this article, and it was in BRW, I think, where they started this business off with a premise that people start businesses because they see a gap in the market. Like, they're generally working for somebody and... They see where something's going wrong or not being done correctly, your business process is naff and they should do this, or if you 
bought this piece of machinery, you do that, or hey, I can see the market's heading there. And they say to their, you know, push it up, and bosses aren't interested in it, they don't want to spend the money in it, all the usual palaver um, that happens in small business. And so what happens, they just piss off and start their own business, and next minute, you know, they're successful. Uh, roll on 10, 15 years, and it's a bit like that um, cat's in the cradle. You know, it's... it's same thing, it happens it's, to it's, them. It's, it's, the same, it's the same thing. It's, you know, Cat Stevens sort of song, yeah. but in business. And so the guys from, the guys from Sherlaw sort of recognise this. So part of their whole business coaching was around not only just succession planning, but succession planning not in the sense that most people know it, but succession planning is actually bringing people up through the business. And then so... A, you're not losing good talent, and B, then you get to, to spend time just thinking about where the business should be going, not just bogged down in the frigging trenches, which is what happens to everybody running a small gig, even a medium-sized gig. And so I sort of read that article, and it's sort of like, you know what, this is actually, I'm, I'm living this. So, yeah, we didn't, we just left them there, and then I just really concentrated then on just developing relationships, moving the business in different directions. It's, got much more into business process engineering and, you know, um, business improvement with um, stuff. And, yeah, and so out of that sort of came to sort of which we've applied for everything else we've ever done going from there is always have effectively have your businesses deal ready. So if somebody comes in and, um, and ultimately that's what helped to sell that business because you can just sit there and go, this is what it makes, this is how it runs, and it doesn't need me. So this whole concept of earnouts and that that, Often when people sell businesses, I just don't subscribe to. It's kind of like, mate, you want to buy my business because of X, Y and Z and therefore I'm selling it to you on that premise and then um, I'm not going to let the door hit me on the butt on the way out. You're welcome to ring me up at any time. But in my opinion, you know, I've said it time and time again, you sell a business, there's an earn out, the new owners dabble. The reason why they bought the business basically gets lost in the process. And then next minute, it's, you know, not what it was. And then you're arguing about, well, the earn out and all the rest of it. So, yeah, so I learnt basically very focused on business process within your business and focused on all of the back office stuff. So you have got really good management accounting, even in a small business, and you can, I mean, it's easier now, obviously, with zero and things like that, but back in the day it wasn't. Um, so you can sit there and show somebody how it works, how it runs, you can run under management and you also don't have to spend any time things getting up to speed because um, Nicholas Moore from Macquarie Bank's great line was speed or lack thereof kills deals. Mm. So if somebody wants, you know, the, as Ronnie Wise says, if the chooks are feeding... Feed them. Feed them. So your comment about being deal-ready all the time is probably something that's lost on owner-operators a lot of the time because they think the business is all about them when in fact you know, they may have significant input into the brand and they may bring some technical expertise, they may bring some charisma or whatever it might be. But at the end of the day, as you're saying, a lot of those things you can't sell and the thing that you can sell is process, is systems, is proven financials and one of the ways that sometimes that, that's best achieved is if the owner-founder removes themselves from the equation. Absolutely. Um, well, and you, well, the thing about the, all this, the stuff that you mentioned about the charisma and all the rest of it, that is kind of processable. And again, another great 
bit in my life was we, we built up, we built myself and my, one of my business partners built up a number of telcos over the years. And one of them I had reason to go back into about five, maybe seven years actually after we sold it, where the MD, he wound up sort of travelling around the world for them and was the Mr Fix-It and then came back into Australia and New Zealand um, and sort of fixed those businesses and then we sort of wound up getting sucked back into that orbit again through him and the guy was, a, was an absolute visionary um, on a whole range of reasons and part of that whole thing is that uh, this business is one of the first businesses to be a, a, a VBO, values-based organisation. This is in the early... 2000s and the CMO of this business, Chief Marketing Officer of this business, was ex-Coke. Uh, and at the end of the day, you know, it's fizzy water with a flavour in it. You know, yeah. It's, it's um, almost a fungible good. Um, and, you know, but it's got a, a red can, so they own red and stuff like that. So we put the whole VBO in where, and it was the whole thing as a values-based organisation where, um, and basically it was trying to codify pretty well what you were talking about. You know, Coke's about Christmas, I suppose. And so, you know, a brand is its people, are people of its brand. So, you know, the people make the brand, but also the culture within the business at a really deep level needs to be a manifestation of that culture because as soon as the... So when people are out and about, you kind of know that they're living the values of that uh, brand. You know, Red Bull's probably a really good example of that. Yeah. Um, so you, I think you can codify it. And we went through that process. We put everybody through values-based training. We did this, we did that. And, and that was kind of the next great lightning moment of how to run a business um, as a result of that. Can I just go back one step? You said the accident occurred, but also that you read an article in BRW and, and got some inspiration out of that around the thought process around um, uh, running businesses and evolving businesses. Do you think the impact of that article would have been as strong if you weren't removed from the business because of the accident and that if you were knee-deep in, you know, chasing debts, knee-deep in business development and all of those things, that you may have missed the insights that that article had? It kind of resonated with me at the time, obviously. And, you know, it's interesting yep. you take about chasing debts. I'm literally sat in people's offices for two days and said, I'm not moving and making a pest myself until you pay me. So, you know, all that sort of stuff which I... Differently now than I did then, but mm. don't know. But yeah, it was it was it was kind of would have been more do as I say rather than do as I do. And so yeah, it, but it's it, it, yeah definitely it, it was it was easier to relate to it and I suppose elocute to people when you're consulting to them that look, hey, I've, you know, mate, I've been there. Mm. Um, it's it's the <laughs> I've I've lived this, so you know it, it has got some uh, gravitas to it. When we talk to people on Max, who visit Max's Island. We often try to expose or, or explore the, the concept of how they were feeling at the time. Now, for you, you had, a, I guess, a little bit of a forced feeling because of the accident put you in a particular position. But at that time, were you feeling like this was going to be something that just allowed you to exit the existing business or was going to be fundamental to the way you looked at at life and at business going forward? To be honest, probably neither of it. Um, I sort of pride myself on my pragmatism. And I suppose to you know give you an example, like I had this accident, I'm sitting in a, surrounded by fibreglass and junk everywhere in this car. 
half the back of my leg was pulled off. I literally just, and there's nobody around because of the nature of where this thing was, because old mate had to go up the freeway on ramp and then turn around and come back. So I literally just dragged myself out of the car, pulled in a hugely expensive Xenia um, sports jacket off, tied it around my leg as a tourniquet, picked up my phone, rang the PA first um, and said, won't be coming back and then get hold of my wife, um, and then rang the, rang the ambulance. Um, yeah, it's, just, it's, just, it's just like it's just, it's just going to go into, you know, I think everybody's been there, just going to yeah. autopilot, yep. you know, bang, 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 bang. And then it's kind of like, well, you know, and this probably comes from my grandfather, just deal with what you know rather than what you don't know. You know, so rather than spending any time pondering on what ifs, just deal with the actual facts that are laying in the in front of you. And so it was kind of um, did that. So, you know, I don't think I was really thinking about exiting the business at all. And it was, I mean, you know, there was probably some financial angst at the time, not really because we'd be, you know, I'd be going broke or anything because the business is incredibly profitable, but more just because you had so much capital tied up. Mm. And so if people weren't chasing the money and weren't so full on, you'd be more stressed about things. And, and, and luckily, again, fickle hand of face, so I had a, a mentor and a heap of mentors over the years and uh, picked me up one day outside my house um, and somehow we got talking about bits and pieces and he said, you got any debt on that? And you know, of course, mate, you got a mortgage. And he goes, get rid of all of your personal debt because you can't tax deduct it and whack it all on, <laughs> whack it on, whack it on a business. So yes, we know we had, a, we had an office at the time. So um, we sort of dragged the money out of that, paid my mortgage off. So I wasn't stressed, uh, financially stressed, like, you know, having to make payments and bits and pieces, but more just around, is the joint just going to be a train wreck when I get back in there and you have to fix it up? So, but I don't think that lasted for a long time, you know. It's just... So you mentioned that the, some of the people that you got through that key man insurance really worked out well and, and obviously the, the business was able to continue on and, and thrive. When you did come back, and, and you, know, you, you did say that you didn't immerse yourself quite the same way as before, but was there any sense of, well, I'm actually not wanted here, or not even not wanted, but um, I'm not sure of my value here, and, and did that allow you to perhaps then think a bit more progressively by looking at other business opportunities? I think it's really hard, like, just... just dive in and muck up what somebody's actually mm. doing. Like, I've already done it this way, you've done it that way. So that probably contributed to an attitude I have now um, in that everybody has different ways of doing things and you've got to be really respectful of that and that's really hard because some people um, go, you're not doing it like this. And really, at the end of the day, as long as the job gets done, it's within budget or within spec or within quality control or whatever, just wear it. And that, that, that was actually a, a lesson I learned from my grandfather, who's an, inc- an incredible West Australian industrialist. And I remember years ago, when I was probably seven or eight, it was non-negotiable. They had to work and work in our factories and we had this new process, and he gave it to this bloke. And I remember driving home with my grandfather, and he goes, I was like, why do you give it to him? Because it's closer than my grandfather was to my father. Um, why do you give it to him? He goes, because he's the laziest bloke in the joint, but he's smart. And bear in mind, you know, I was about... 10 when this is going, so yep. it's bleeding obvious now. He goes, but because so what he's going to do, he's going to do it as fast as he possibly can, but he's also going to do it at a quality that I'm not going to crawl up him for it. And then he said, Because he doesn't want to do it again. He doesn't want to do it again. So therefore, and that's pretty well going to be the quality that the, the, the customer is going to accept. So, you know, that's a bit of, that's about making a, a process super profitable. 
And then that sort of went on to this thing about, you know, well, when you're older, you'll do economics and it'll be about supply and demand. And he goes, I've got this theory, it's not supply and demand, it's about greed and laziness. People basically want, you know, as much as they possibly can for as little, little as, as they, they can, can possibly do. So he said, when you get your head around supply and demand, better still greed and laziness, um, then it'll wrap. So all, all those little life lessons are sort of just like plugged away as like little building stones. So as we finish up with your little journey to, to Max's Island, you've mentioned your grandfather, you've mentioned the era of your accident, the early 90s, and, you know, we're now 30 years advanced from that. There's a lot of talk around generational change, you know, the, the generations and the way they think and the way they act and the way they um, operate, not only in, in life but also in, in, in work. Do you think those principles still work now and why? Yeah, young people are way smart. Like, we've always, in every business we've ever done, gone out of our way to hire young people, but also not push old farts like me out. And it's really just, I think, putting an environment in where you're not lecturing about stuff, you're basically just helping them with a toolkit to get where you got to. Because, I mean, there's, you know, our, the mutual boss that we both had in gym, you know, those guys... Still see now, and I'm just like the amount of time and effort over the years that people have spent with me, and you know, like Laurie Connell and stuff like that. Like, I was just a you know, mid 20s idiot, and you've got these you know, four on the floor entrepreneurs, as they were known at the time, actually spending time with me, helping me build a business. So, because I don't think anything's changed, I, I think that every generation gets smarter, that's just a fact, um, and I think it's just a matter of those things, just remembering pragmatism, because I do think pragmatism is one of the the, um, the casualties of what we live in today. Totally agree. I think there's um, there's this striving for right or wrong, left or right, you know, good or bad or whatever. But there's obviously a lot of grey, and and a pragmatic approach often allows you to appreciate that grey. And, and work in it and survive in it mm. and, and prosper in it. And so I think you've, you've identified a number of principles that... Uh, and and I've, I've known you for a long time and I appreciate the way that you've run, run businesses and without downplaying it, the simplicity of the approach and what you've shared with us today, often it's not a complicated process, but it is a pragmatic process, it is an observational process, it's something that you can continue to learn and build upon. And treating people the right way and, and you know, the, the opportunity to build a business and bring people through, you know, that's a, a concept that probably back in the, in the 90s wasn't something that was um, necessarily the way people thought. You know, we were coming out of that fast-paced 80s where it was all, you know, the whole greed and the, the whole make money and, and all of that, I think your, your principles of then are, are, are really applicable now and that, you know, growth from within, understanding people, pragmatic approach to finding a solution and being successful is certainly a, a sound business approach and is just as relevant today as it was back then. Well, look, you've just got to get to the... Think simple. Like, you know, Scrabble is not a game about a dictionary. Scrabble's a game about maths. And so 
I regularly get howled at when I play scrubber because I just dumb it down. I actually literally drag it into the gutter because it's just about not trying to get the best word. It's just about... The best number. The best number. Yeah. And so just, you know, just simplify it. Just, just, just think simple and then the rest of it just takes care of itself, really. Chris, thanks for being on the island. Some really sage advice. I'm really just so impressed with um, the progress and the way that you've, you've built businesses, but I'm, I'm really also fascinated by that one event where, and I know how fixated you are on vehicles and, and cars and things like that, so to have had your prized Corvette, was, was it? Yeah, 63 split screen, yeah. So to have that wrecked and, and have your, your leg damaged and, and still be able to actually have incredible growth out of that situation is just a great story. So thanks for sharing it with us on Max's Island and uh, good luck in the future. Thanks for having me. We spoke on the bus on the way home from work. He was lost in the details of life. Each day was a blur, oh work and no play, and how, how it had turned out this way. He told me his plan, a short-term escape, five weeks on the Bibbulmun track. Go it alone, no one to blame if he finished or fell back. sense was engaged, his mind was as clear as the sky, completely alone, no emails or phone and nothing.